broadcasting from the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, Colorado. It's time for Kick Set with USA Swimming, bringing you interviews with athletes, coaches, and experts from age group swimming to the national and Olympic teams. Hello, and welcome to the Kick Set Podcast. I am your host, Dan McCarthy. Well, it's good to be back. No matter where you live or swim in the United States, you have been affected by the COVID-19 outbreak. Uh, During this time, I've been extremely proud to be working for USA Swimming. Uh, The opportunity to see so many coaches and athletes, club and LSC volunteers come together with the staff here at USA Swimming to to solve problems um, and find solutions to all of the challenges that came down the pike over the last three months. Um, if you are still looking for information uh, regarding swimming, swim team, return to practice, that sort of thing, uh, please visit the, our website, usaswimming.org. Right underneath the banner, we have a, uh, a community quarantine resource page link. Click there, and it will take you to the information and the links that we already have. And as we add information, we'll put a link up on there as well. Uh, We have information. If you're looking for recovery and reopening plans, it's on there. Relief and grant programs, webinar and coaching links, uh, every type of information that has been a part of the COVID-19 response or uh, directly into handling the, the, the response and what we can do, the links are up there, the information up there. I highly encourage you to visit there. Uh, obviously, we were sidelined, we being the Kickset podcast during the last couple months, but we're back on track now. Um, and we've retooled the the program for the the summer, and it's it's really amazing. We have some great guests coming up, um, so we're kind of doing our own reopening here, and we're kicking it off uh, with Missy Franklin, who's one of the biggest stars. Uh, that USA Swimming has ever seen. Uh, Missy, everybody knows, she's one of the greatest swimmers in U.S. and probably world history. Uh, she takes some time during the podcast to tell us about her family and their response to the, the quarantine crisis. Uh, we got a chance to talk about some old competitions and uh, favorite places of hers. Missy's also an ambassador for the foundation and we talked in about the some of the challenges that are going to come this summer with pools and facilities being closed or having limiting hours. You know what kind of uh, what's what's the impact of that going to be on water safety? We really hope drownings don't rise, um, and we want to make sure as many people still learn has always had the opportunity to learn. And uh, Missy is an ambassador for the foundation, and that's one of their um, major goals is to teach people to swim. So we talk a little bit about that. Uh, Delve into mental health awareness, uh, May being Mental Health Awareness Month. Missy was kind enough to offer some insight into uh, challenges that she had during her career and some of the tools that she was able to learn to help her with, uh, with those challenges. And make sure you listen all the way through to the end um, when we're talking about social media, Missy uh, and I get into a discussion about if she 
did start using TikTok, what her first project might be. All right, let's take a listen. Missy, how are you? I am awesome, Dan. Thank you so much for having me on. It's my pleasure. I miss seeing you, but it's fantastic to have opportunity uh, to get you on the podcast. And I wanted to let you know before we get started here, my kids think this is probably the coolest thing I've ever done, <laughs> is to have Missy Franklin on my podcast. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's really oh, funny. They have no idea how truly uncool <laughs> I am. <laughs> No, you know, it's really, it's interesting because my boy is 12 and my daughter is 10. And in 2012, you know, they were five and two years old. And like your name was everywhere because of work, because of the Olympics. And, you know, so it's kind of like you've always been a part of them growing up, which, you know, is super cool whenever, you know, your work life and your, you know, and your entertainment life come together. But I think there's something there too for, kids seeing kids be successful, you know, I mean, oh, in 2012, thank you. And I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you were what, 16, 17, 17. Yeah. I wish yeah. I was just a kid myself. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny because I, you know, they're drawn to like uh, Juju Smith Schuster plays football here in Pittsburgh and he was very young. I think he was 19 when he got drafted and all the kids loved him because he seemed like a kid. I don't know. So yeah, how- I think, I think it's just, it's a really special platform that you have when, when you are younger and you are, you know, achieving your greatest goals. Cause it really just kind of goes to show that there's no, there's no age limit on your dreams or what you want to accomplish, you know, whether you're young or whether it's later in your life, you know, there's no such thing as having to do it a certain way at a certain time, everyone's just on their own timeline. So it's, I think it's really fun to see when young people do achieve kind of big fun things. I think that's awesome for, for younger, younger ones to be like, Hey, this could be me in 10 years. (laughs) Yeah. I I think you're right because little kids are dreamers and then to see a kid doing it and they just, just say, look, see, (laughs) so. Yeah, exactly. How have you been? What's new? We, we have been just fine. Um, my husband and I moved back to Colorado in December. Uh, we have been very, very fortunate. Um, you know, we have the resources to deal with what is, is going on in the world. And we know that that is definitely not the case for everyone. So yes, of course we miss our friends. We miss our family. We've been incredibly careful. We've been so good about self quarantining, but at the end of the day, we've gotten to spend some really beautiful time together we're both so used to traveling. So to have this time at home and and to be together through all of it um, truly has been a blessing in disguise for us. And so we're, we're appreciating all of the blessings that we have while also really trying to figure out ways that we can continue to give back to our community in this time and to those that are, that are in much less fortunate circumstances than we are right now. Well, I'm glad you guys are safe. Um, have you had to reel in your parents at all? I mean, I found that's been our biggest challenge, my wife and I, trying to convince our yes. our parents that no, you can't do that. <laughs> yeah, no, I I've been I've been lucky. My parents have been so good um, from the very onset, and they're both um, high risk for multiple reasons. Oh, okay. So I think they immediately understood 
that they really, really needed to be careful. Um, so thankfully, they took it just as seriously as I did. So I really haven't had to give them too many lectures. They have been <laughs> incredible. And they are, they're up in the mountains. Um, and in their entire county, there's only been seven cases up there. So I think they're in a very, very safe spot in terms of lack of cases. And it's very easy for them to, to isolate up there. I mean, yeah. they can literally go weeks and months without seeing anyone else. So wow. I think it's probably the best and safest place for them to be right now. You're right. Um, well, on the lighter side of quarantining, everybody's, at least initially, I think everybody dove into some sort of TV show that they never got to watch or podcast or some books. <laughs> anything uh, Anything you want to push, anything you want to recommend that was uh, important to you during this time? Well, I don't know about important, <laughs> but one of the things that I started doing was I actually started rereading all the Harry Potter books. Oh. And that has been so fun um, because I'm a huge Harry Potter nerd. I've I've read the books multiple times growing up and I've seen every movie more times than I care to admit, <laughs> but I haven't actually read the books in, in several years. And so going back to those and, you know, rereading the parts that are out of the movies and being reminded of all that, it's just very nostalgic and it always just kind of puts me in a great mood. And so that's kind of been one of the more uplifting things that I've really been doing. So I would, I would definitely recommend going back to some childhood favorites mm. and, and rereading those. Cause that's, that's been a great time for me. Did you uh, get a, a chance to do the Jordan documentary? Yes, we have not finished it yet. I think we're six episodes in, so we're almost there, but that has just been, I mean, unbelievable. So yeah. inspiring. Yeah, that was cool. Um, so one of the things that I wanted to do when I got a chance to talk to you is I always tell people that my first encounter with Missy Franklin was I was working with the national team and we took a gigantic world mm -hmm. youth team in the fall over to Europe to swim in Stockholm. Gigantic. <laughs> In Berlin. And I think we had like over 50 people on this trip, which was just, you know, insane. And I think we've learned from that trip how to, but was that your first international travel for USA Swimming? I believe that it was. I, I think, I, you know what? I think earlier I might've done Mel Zajac in Vancouver. Okay. I think that was my first. And then Stockholm, Berlin was my second. But it's so funny because you mentioned the size of that trip. And I mean, it was absurd. Like there were so many of us on that trip. And it was so funny down the line, like five, seven years when I'd start to get to know people better. And we'd realize that we were on that trip together and had absolutely no <laughs> idea. <laughs> yes, it was gigantic. Um, I remember just Stockholm being like the most interesting place I've ever seen. You know, it was a modern place, but it looked so old. Oh, yeah. um, but the rest of my story is that I remember you coming down the hallway in Stockholm and your mouth was bleeding and you had a big smile on your face. And I'm like, oh God, what is this? And you asked where the doctor was because your last baby tooth fell out. That's how young you were. <laughs> oh, my gosh, I don't even remember that. No, <laughs> that is insane. 
Oh my gosh, that yep. is so ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh yeah, that is. I I did see because when I look back on those memories, you know, I don't imagine myself that young, right? Like I feel like I always just kind of my pictures picture myself in the age range of fifteen and seventeen from okay. like. 2008 until, <laughs> until 2013 but it's oh my goodness that is so crazy I was such a baby yeah that was 2009 so you're 14 years old do people guess. still have baby teeth at 14 yeah. is that normal <laughs> I don't know oh <laughs> 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 uh, well you kind of mentioned there you know like thinking back um, on all the traveling and competitions. Um, and I, I like to talk to the athletes about this. Like when you look back, do you remember the races or do you remember the places? Oh, no. I, I honestly neither. I remember the people. The people. That yes. is is by and far the thing that I remember the most. Yeah. It's, you know, very occasionally there will be races that really stick out to me that, um, you know, I just – I. I have such a special place in my heart for some of them. And, but ultimately it's, you know, the experiences that we had with friends. Like I remember the last night of the Berlin trip, I think it was um, just like being with some of my girlfriends and the meets were both over and we were in the room and we were all having candy for the first time (laughs) and however long and we were playing music and just like, you know, those are the memories. And especially when you're that age too, you know, what a unique opportunity to get to make friends from all around the country and the world. I mean, we're, we're trading with, with teams from other countries and, you know, that's definitely not an experience that every 13, 14 year old gets. And so I think that was our greatest blessing. And like I said, you know, moving forward, you know, we, we all stayed, so many of us stayed in the sport and we moved up to the national team and we swam in college. So to be swimming in college against people that you've been traveling the world with for the past four years, I mean, it really is a special relationship. You're right. You're right. I, it's, it's a very similar sentiment to a lot of the uh, national team athletes I've heard speak. And I'm always intrigued by it because they can tell, talk about the you know, the party they had on the last night and the candy that, that you got to eat in your room, but you probably couldn't tell me any of the times yeah. you did at that competition. <laughs> oh gosh, heavens no. I couldn't even tell you what events I saw. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's so funny because the younger athletes are so, and their parents are so wrapped up in the competition and the events that they're swimming and did they get the time? And really it's the experience and the people that, um, that are the members. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, that's a learning experience too. You know, like I think we all come to understand that more and more as we get older, but absolutely when you're 13, 14 years old, you're swimming and competing in Sweden and Berlin. Like, of course you want to swim fast. And at the time that definitely seems like the top priority, but again, kind of as you grow and look back on what truly matters, you know, you do take away the time that you got to be with your friends and, and what you shared together. Like you realize that that feeling and those experiences are going to last so much longer than whatever time you went in, in your races. Um, I always try to tell people that, you know, that 
they talk about, oh, you get to go to this place, you get to go to that place. But honestly, looking back on it, most of the places seem to have blended together. And it's really hard for me to remember a favorite place. And the ones that were really special kind of stick out because a lot of times you're seeing stuff through the bus window as you go from the village to the pool or something like that. Exactly. Did any did anything stick out to you? Was there a favorite place when it was all said and done? Yeah, I, I do have a favorite place. I think you make a really good point, though, is it's, it's very similar for me, um, especially with all the cities I've only been to once. Um, it's really <laughs> hard to remember specific things about them. And I always tell people the same thing. Like, I, I am so blessed that I got to travel to over 20 countries just because of swimming, but I probably only actually got to see about like three of them (laughs) because of course, you know, we're not there to be tourists. Like that's not our job. We're there to be our best and to swim at our best. And that literally requires us to be resting at the hotel anytime that we're not training. So it's just kind of a back and forth. But I think for me, the two funny things about this are if I revisited a place multiple times, that would definitely help it stick out more. So for me, Barcelona is my favorite. Um, uh-huh. I just absolutely love, love that city more than anything. And I think that is definitely due in part to, I got to go there as I was a little bit older as well. So we had a little bit more freedom to, you know, go in groups and go out to dinner. You know, right. whereas a 13, 14 year old, you're under a much stronger supervision. And so right. you don't really have the chance to just like walk out and explore. But when you're older, you know, you have that that freedom to kind of at least get out a little bit with some of your teammates and stay together. Um, so Barcelona, I absolutely loved. And then I've realized I have uh, definitely associated cities with my performance at the uh-huh. meets that I had there. So I desperately need to go back to Australia because I had <laughs> such a terrible meet there at Pampax, Pampax in 2014 and it rained. I mean, the int- it was just miserable. And so I just have, I have a really bad connotation whenever like I think <laughs> of Australia, which is so not fair to the country. No. <laughs> so I need to go back there. Um, and my husband's the same way. He's so funny. Australia is one of his favorites because when he swam there he swam amazing so right. <laughs> I think we both need to go back and just make our own memories there when it's when it's safe I agree I agree uh, that at all that meet was a a learning experience for all of us coaches staff athletes oh. so many adaptations yeah. came out of that competition yeah. so <laughs> And the learning experience was never again host an outdoor meet in Australia <laughs> in the middle of their winter. That was the learning experience. Yeah, that's at the top of the list for certain. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, earlier when we were talking about the quarantine, um, it's actually there's some serious consequences that we're dealing with right now uh, with the pools not being open. I know here I've already seen an article in the Pittsburgh area talking about the fear that the kids, because the city pools might not open, might go down and swim in the river, which is super dangerous. And now the risk of drowning um, is now a big problem again. So the, the quarantine and shutdowns have definitely hurt this access to pool. And 
you are a, a wonderful amb ambassador for our foundation. And I know that this is uh, a focus for you and the foundation. Oh, 100%. And I think you bring up some really good points. I don't think that people should be putting themselves in any situation of, of risk where, where they could hurt themselves. And one of our, our most you know, prominent little bits of wisdom that we try to impart is that there is no such thing as being totally water safe. Mm. You know, whether you've been swimming your whole life or you just started accidents happen and it is so unfortunate and it is so devastating, but it is the truth. Um, you know, veteran swimmers that get caught in currents of the ocean or that are swimming in an, a different environment like a river where there are those currents that we're not used to. So just being as careful as possible, always having someone with you. I think that is, is one of the number one things of importance is having someone, a water watcher to be there that is fully dedicated to watching you and doing nothing else for the entirety of the time that, that you are swimming. Um, and I think also as, as we start to open up, you know, swim schools and places like swim labs that have the infinity pools, I think that's going to be a great way to get back in the water. That's going to be a much more controlled environment uh, mm. than a public pool. I think those are going to be, it'll be hard to figure out the social distancing there. Um, but I think when you're in, you know, an individual pool by yourself, you know, that's a really cool opportunity to get some training in and stay safe and socially distant. But I know that a lot of swimmers right now um, are stressed about, being out of shape and getting back yeah. into training. And I, I so understand that I, I completely get where they're coming from. And those feelings are so justified, but also, you know, nothing is worth putting their lives at risk. No. And not to jump topics, but we've been doing weekly meetings with the national team athletes just to, you know, to, if they wanted to talk, they could talk. If they want to listen, they could listen. Because the, the, I guess the stress, the depression, the anxiety that has come with the quarantine um, and being unable to train, having the Olympics being postponed, Olympic trials being postponed, um, in addition to the regular, you know, anxiety people have in their, their lives, um, is a real, it's a real thing. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, and our athletes right now, like, it, it's hard for people that haven't actually experienced to fully understand the, the mental shift that it takes to move something like the Olympic games an entire year back because these athletes have already been working, you know, first off we work throughout the quad, right? We work all four years, not just the year leading up to the Olympics, which is an another one of my favorite misconceptions. It's like, well, what do you do the other three? Um, but naturally, there, there is a different air to the year leading up to a Games. There is a higher intensity. There's, a, there's more pressure. And so I've already worked through half of that. And to be in that, that mentality and that mindset and then not only to realize that that's being moved back, but that they now have another year and a half to maintain that kind of intensity. 
that's a lot. Um, and then, you know, you're not even getting into the athletes that were planning on retiring after this summer yes. or that had plans to go to grad school or to, to do whatever it was. I mean, it really is a big, big change. And, you know, no one, no one is, is more capable of handling it than, than these athletes. They are so strong. But I think it's, it's really important to recognize that their feelings are so valid and just to really be taking it one day at a time right now and, and just be giving, giving your best and recognizing that that's going to look different every day. You know, yeah. sometimes your best is, you know, getting a great dry land workout in and having a really good day of nutrition and, and having a great night's sleep. And the next day your best might just be making it through the day you know, just taking it easy and stretching and resting and giving yourself a little bit of a break when you need it. And I think that that kind of goes for everyone right now too. And it's not just the athletes, but for everyone out there that, you know, it's, it's a really big mental shift and just being so graceful and patient with yourself during this time. Yes. And I think what I see is, more sympathy and understanding. Like if this would have happened four years ago, going into the Rio games, I'm not sure that the awareness, the sympathy, uh, the empathy for the athletes, I'm not sure that it would have been okay. Then a lot has taken place in the last four years. Athletes like in other sports, you know, Kevin Love uh, has been a pretty big proponent. I know Schmitty with us and Michael and you have, really helped foster in an attitude that is made USA swimming has never been as serious about mental health awareness uh, ever in the history of our sport. And it's very recent, like four years ago, I'm not sure the tools would have existed to help. And I think, I think you played a part in that. Well, that means a lot. I, I think I would have been a very small part, if anything. I mean, you mentioned Michael and Schmitty and I think there are just so many people that, are, are stepping up and that are being vulnerable. And ultimately it's not just one voice that's going to make a difference, but it's all of our voices. And so to even just be in that chorus, I'm honored by that. And it means a lot to me. And it's a responsibility that I take very seriously. And we're lucky enough to be a part of a family like USA Swimming that listens to us and then makes changes. You know, as you said, there are so many so many things in place now to help athletes that are going through, you know, a really challenging time mentally. And and we didn't always have those resources. So USA Swimming listened to us and then they made resources available, which is, is incredible because it shows how much they care not about just us as athletes, but us as human beings and as people. And that that always just resonates and just fills my heart with so much hope and love because I think, you know, when athletes in particular come forward about mental health, there is a certain aspect of vulnerability to that because we have this persona of being almost super people. Yes. That we're able to achieve amazing things and accomplish this and that. And we almost seem untouchable and Mm. to, to kind of, walk forward and and really just like take off the cape and be like, no, like I am a human being. I experience the same in and outs that, that you do every single day. And 
I'll never forget one of the, the hardest moments for me after I openly began speaking about my depression was, um, I was still at the point where I would read comments uh, on articles, which I have, <laughs> have learned uh, not to do and have not been doing for several years. Uh, but there was a comment under one of my articles um, that said, oh, boo-hoo, you have four gold medals. Like, what right do you have to feel like this? And, I mean, that, that wound punctured me deeper than I, I, I like to say, because it, it shouldn't have mattered because it was a person that didn't know my life that didn't know what I was going through. And yet that was kind of my inner voice that I had been dealing with that got me there in the first place was you don't deserve to feel like this. Like you are so fortunate. You are so like, how dare you? You've been on an Olympic stage. Like you have, you've never struggled with having a roof over your head or food on your table. You've always had people that have loved you and supported you. Like there are people with so much less than that, that don't feel sad. So like, why do you like that's so unfair of me to feel like that? And so a huge part of my journey is recognizing that we are all human beings and we all suffer and and go through tragedy and loss in in our own way into our own extremes and and sadness and depression and suffering there should be no scale for that on right. whether it's less or more it's just yours and however you can get through that and however you work through it however that's best for you that is ultimately what matters the most is there a little tool or something, a uh, trick that you've picked up in the last couple of years that has helped you get through those things? Yeah. So I've talked about this a bit. Um, and a big one for me is not labeling my emotions as good or bad. Oh. Um, I was, I was very much um, type. I'm very much type A to begin with, but that included my emotions to where, you know, I, when I was happy, that was good. When I was sad, that was bad. Mm. And so when I woke up on the days where I felt lonely, I felt unmotivated, I immediately would go, oh, today's a bad a day. A bad day, yeah. A bad day. And so with my therapist, she really helped me see, like, why are those feelings bad? Like, they don't feel the same way as happiness and joy and enthusiasm, but that doesn't make them bad. So like when those feelings come, like just acknowledge them. Like, okay, like I, I feel a little lonely today. I feel a little sad today. Okay. That's just how I feel today. And the second I started doing that, those days became so much more manageable because it wasn't like immediately I wrote off the day and just accepted that it was going to be a bad day. I just accepted that that's how I was feeling today. And I think that gave my emotions so much more freedom to just kind of come and go. And it helped me see how non-permanent they are. So, you know, when I am really happy and joyful, I'm so grateful for that because I know that that's such a special thing. And then when I am a little lonely or sad, I also know that that's, that's not going to be there forever. And so that's, that's really something that's helped me a bunch. Yeah. that sounds like an incredibly powerful tool I've never heard of that. And I'm over 50. I mean, I can't imagine 
you know, you were 20 years old and nobody had ever told you it's okay to, you know, your emotions don't have a qualifier to them. That's yes. You couldn't have said it better. Huh? That's really cool. Um, so in preparation for you and I getting a chance to talk, I, I watched some videos, read some stuff and I, I wanted to get a, a little deeper. Uh, one of the things that I saw you promoting is a gratitude list. What's that? Yes. Yeah. So it's exactly like what it sounds. Um, we did these in college. Um, Terry McKeever would actually, we would have like little notebooks that were actually like gratitude lists that had, you know, 10 places for you to write down. Um, and it's, it's exactly what it sounds like. You just write down 10 things that you're grateful for. And then we would go around in a circle and everyone would just pick one thing off of their list to share but I, I don't think it's a secret, the power of gratitude when it comes to joy and when it comes to having a healthy mental, mental health. Uh, but it's, it can be anything. I mean, it can be a journal. It can be a sticky note. It can be a scrap of paper. But if you get in the habit of just taking time every single day to write down things that you're grateful for, it just totally changes your outlook. I mm. think for me personally – it's, it's allowed me to see even the smallest things in every day that I may not have acknowledged before that I truly am grateful for. And the more you do it, you know, the more you kind of have to dive in deep about, okay, yeah, like what, what am I grateful for? And, and it can be really big and it can be really small. Like my gratitude lists are always so funny. They're all over the place. It'll be, you know, I'm so grateful for my health, for my husband, for my parents. And I'm also grateful for fuzzy socks and dark <laughs> chocolate and red wine. Like, it's just, like whatever you feel grateful for that day. And it's, I think it helps us to be really in tune with our own selves, you know, because we are grateful for different things as days come and go. And so just to, to take the time and really appreciate, you know, what we do have in our life. Um, I don't think the importance of that can be can be overstated enough. No. And I, I think I saw your video uh, on the Child Mind Institute. Yes. What yeah. is that organization? Yeah, so Child Mind Institute is incredible. So um, it's essentially a resource um, for parents, for kids that really deals specifically with mental health in children. Uh, and I think that is is such an important thing to have because, again, I think that's another misconception about mental health is that children don't struggle with it and we're seeing I think very unfortunately more and more now you know it getting into to middle schools and even stories of elementary schools where there's Mm -hmm. bullying and and you have young children that really do struggle with their mental health at that young age and so I think you know it's really scary for parents I mean it was terrifying for my parents and I was 21 years old, Right, but still like if you, if you have never dealt with it personally or never had a child that's really dealt with it, you have no idea how to even go about it. And it's a really scary thing. So I think to have a resource, especially for parents to just kind of give them a place to start, um, you know, and, and just how to listen and what you can do to be there. I think that is, is amazing. So to, to be a part of what they're doing right now, uh, that's, that's been awesome. I've really, really enjoyed that. Um, 
I am so sorry that our time is starting to come to an end because I feel like we're just getting started. <laughs> we're going to have to have a, a, a second, a second podcast, but, uh, <laughs> but in, before I let you go, in addition to the child mind Institute, is there anything else you're working on? Anything you'd like to take a, a few minutes and promote? I mean, I think there's, there's one that I'm so excited about, but it's less about, you know, promoting it and more about just, just sharing it. I think it's such a a powerful thing. Um, I, I've been fortunate enough to be a Laureus ambassador uh, for several years and I just became an Academy member two years ago and the Laureus Academy was created by Nelson Mandela and it is all about using sport for good. So they fund projects all over the world that use sport in their community to, to bring good and, and to help children however they can. Every community is so different and it, it's such a beautiful thing. And I am so excited. I was just asked to be on the board for a project that is in India and it's called UWA and it is a, a football program for young girls and they've also developed a school out there and essentially the program keeps the young girls in the community out of child marriage yeah. and and it's it's beautiful it's all through it's all through football. It's all through soccer that, you know, it's normally an opportunity that's only allowed for the young, the young boys in the village and parents can't afford to send their sons and their daughters to school. So they'll send the boys off to a expensive private school and the girls will have to stay home, which is why they so often get married off because then the parents, they're not a financial responsibility for their right. parents any longer. So this program is just unbelievable. It, it raises young women up through it. And then as you grow through the program, you actually can become a coach and you earn a salary where you can use that salary towards the school that they have there. So when your parents come to you and say, we can't afford to send you to school anymore, these young 12, 13, 14 year old girls are able to look at their parents and say, you don't have to, I'm not here <laughs> myself. And it's just incredible. So I had the opportunity to meet um, several of those girls um, at the World Sports Awards two years ago. And many of them, English is their third language. And through the program and through the school, they're actually coming to college here in the United States. Uh, So it's just a beautiful, beautiful program. So I'm really looking forward to eventually getting out there. I know that will be a while, but we're going to work on uh, building a, a permanent school out there for them. So that's been you know, just a reminder that what we do, there's a bigger picture, a bigger picture to everything. And, and sport has been a huge part of my life for so many reasons. But, um, you know, how it's actually changing the course of young people's lives all around the world. It's, it's really beautiful to see that. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. I didn't, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. Um, if people are looking for you, social media or otherwise, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm on, I'm on everything. I'm not on TikTok. I could not deal with that. <laughs> I've gotten so many requests and I'm so sorry, but that is just why I'm already trying to spend less time on my phone. Um, I am mostly on Instagram. That's my favorite platform. Um, still on Twitter, still on Facebook, um, but Instagram and, and messaging me there is probably, uh, probably the best bet for sure. I don't know. I, I, there's some clamoring for a uh, quarantine redo on TikTok of Call Me Maybe. Oh, heavens. Oh, my gosh. Don't <laughs> even. Do not put that into the universe. 
<laughs> I might talk to Russell later. <laughs> Don't do it. Dan, I'm going to know it was you. <laughs> oh, get the band back together. Oh, oh my gosh. We'd have a blast. We always do. <laughs> uh, well, Missy, I can't thank you enough for, for joining me. And uh, I wish you and your family the best of luck. Uh, we would really appreciate it, Dan. It was so good to speak to you again and give your family all of my love and, and everyone, everyone down there at USA Swimming a big hug for me. <laughs> all right. Take care. Thanks, Dan. Well, it was wonderful to get the Kickset podcast back up and running again with somebody uh, like Missy Franklin. I really enjoyed that. I hope you did as well. And uh, I look forward to getting back into your podcast feed every month. Uh, before I let you go, I want to circle back on a couple of things that uh, Missy talked about. Um, first of all, the Harry Potter book series that she said she read through during the uh, during the initial days of the quarantine. I'm seeing right here you can get them on Amazon um, if you uh, if you don't have them and you're interested in doing them. I think almost all of us have some one, at least one of the Harry Potter books lying around. Um, the USA Swimming Foundation, you can find that link by going to the USA Swimming Foundation or through the USA Swimming website. Uh, Missy also mentioned the Child Mind Institute, and you can uh, check out their information at childmind.org. Uh, obviously, a, a really uh, great organization that is has been working on information that suddenly lo lots of us are interested in um, wondering about the impact of quarantine and virus and safety and all those sort of things what that has on our children um, and she also mentioned the uh, Laureus Academy uh, that she's working with the foundation that was either found in the honor of Nelson Mandela or he started um, but that is at L-A-U-R-E-U-S, USA.com, LaureusUSA.com. And it's uh, the organization that she's working with, um, uh, specifically with the program in India that she was talking about. Uh, that's all for today. As I said, we will be back soon. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and uh, thank you for listening to Kickset. Thanks for listening to Kickset with USA Swimming. Check out www.usaswimming.org slash kickset for more episodes and add Kickset to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes.